Our reading is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 17. This is found on page 1085. Jesus had just told the disciples to take heart that he has overcome the world. And so we commence at verse 1 of chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, great. Uh, great to see you here this morning. Um, for those of you who I didn't see on Thursday nights, great to see you this morning. Uh, and over the time, we'll get to know you. And we're looking forward to that. We're excited about that. But before I say anything, I'd just like Keith and Alice to share something. we're there so before Tim has had a chance to preach to us we're already hijacking the show Um, and um, clearly it's an exciting day for Saints Withens and it's wonderful and we're thankful that Tim and Joe are here with us Um, we're also thankful to God for everything that Esther has done during the vacancy for us. And um, we wanted to say a special thank you to you, Esther, um, for your friendship, for your leadership, for your words of encouragement, and keeping us all really on track and sane at times throughout this time. (laughs) So um, we know there's still lots of hard work for you to be doing here (laughs) over the next few months. Um, but we just wanted to take this opportunity to say a heartfelt thank you. Do you want to preach on the passage? (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, We're really grateful. Lots of things we're really grateful for this morning. Uh, And also, I just want to say a quick thank you for the many ways in which we felt very upheld, very encouraged, very supported, very loved, even in the short time we've been here. Um, Those who don't know me, one or two I might have said this to, uh, it's a little bit naughty to, to single people out. 
but I'm going to do that all the same. And those who know me a little bit will know why. I just want to say a particular thank you for those who helped paint the downstairs room in the vicarage. I am not practical by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm hugely grateful for those who labored hard to make it look amazing. So huge thank you. But to all of you, huge thanks for your prayers and your care and support. And we're excited about getting to know you, but it'll work vice versa too. Let me just pray. Father, we ask as we begin a new season together that you would have your way among us. That you'd have your way amongst me, in me and through me. That we'll be a people of your name, a people of your kingdom. And Father, I pray that my words would bless, that we'd hear your voice this morning, we'd be encouraged, that you'd minister to us through your word. And Father, we are so deeply grateful that you are a God who hears our cries. And thank you so much for Simon and Anne and their good news. Bless them richly as we seek your blessing here too for our season. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, we begin to a new season together, I've chosen, I know that you've been through a season looking at prayer, and I've chosen a prayer, uh, one of the most famous prayers in the Bible, as a way of really introducing a little bit uh, of myself, but also saying a little bit about what's important. And it's one of the uh, most extraordinary prayers in the Bible. It has massive implications for us as God's church. And for us as a city, as a nation, as we meditate on what John 17 is all about. John 17 is a passage of scripture that inspired Christians over the centuries to say, what is it the church is all about? What is it that's really important? What's at the heart of who we are and what's at the heart of what God wants us to both be and to do? What did Jesus come for? What did Jesus die for? And what is Jesus coming back for? And in John 17, we find an incredibly rich passage. For those of you who like a nice systematic Bible study, I'm going to disappoint you for the next three weeks. Because what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pick three themes from John 17 as a way of introducing it. But it's an amazingly rich passage of Scripture. If you're in a house group, I'd encourage you, or even if you're not in a house group, over the next three weeks to spend time reading John 17 and ask God to speak to you about what it is you think or you think we're called to be and what we're called to do. There's an amazing amount in here about truth, about unity, about prayer, about relationship, about power, about what it is to know joy, what it is to be a refuge. But I've chosen three from this. It's a little bit of an indulgence, slightly. It's not quite an indulgence, but I've chosen three themes that I want to talk about over the first three Sundays. And then we're going to do some studies, some deeper studies in John's Gospel through the rest of the term. Thinking about the church, 
Um, I don't know whether, like you, you come across many people who either seem to think the church in some way might be irrelevant or actually might not be good news in any form. It's very easy to come across those people, but many today equate the church with that. A vicar was showing a young boy around a church, probably maybe a physical building a little bit like this, and he was showing him all the different memorials on the walls around the church and said to them, these are the people who've died in the services. <laughs> you know where I'm going. The boy asked, was it in the morning service or the evening service? But the vision of God's church and in Scripture is an amazingly vibrant place. It's a place of life. It's a place of hope. Not just for those people, but for the world. The church is God's plan for the world. It's often said, and for those of us who spend time with people who are at the end of their life, people often save the most important words for the end. Last words are lasting words, as someone once said. And what we're capturing here in John 17 is some of Jesus' last words to his disciples. What is it that's really, truly important and what isn't important? Jesus is wanting to see his disciples equipped with everything they need for their life in the world. Many of us, I think of us as Christians, are also tempted to think that the Christian life is going to be really easy. And then we're very surprised when things are a battle, when things are hard, when there's opposition. But look at Scripture closely and look at this passage and see that Jesus shows the disciples to prepare that there is also a battle. The world won't automatically love you, accept you fully. There is a battle that's part of that. But the first things I want to talk about this morning is that the call that we are a God-centered community. It is all about God. The prayer that we read here in John 17 tells us what Jesus is passionate about, the very heart of who he is and what he's called to be and do. And that's captured in the phrase that you see throughout John 17, but particularly here in the, the verse, the glory, the words of the glory of God. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. In verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you have done, have given to me. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the world began. And later on in John 17, in verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Now, what is he talking about by talking about glory and glorify? When you think of the glory of God, or you think about glory, it's actually a really big topic, but at least part of the image you should have in your mind is that passage in Matthew 17 where Jesus is transfigured and he goes up the mountain with the disciples and he says, it says that Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. As Jesus permits his disciples to see his divine nature that was cloaked in his humanity, 
Or maybe think about the, rev- the, the vision in Revelation 1 that the Apostle John had. That his face was like sun shining in all of its brilliance. wonder whether you ever go to the coast or to the sea and you've seen the sun rise above the kind of water. And it's so bright that you can actually barely look at it as it glistens around you without it burning your eyes. Well, part of the purpose of Jesus' coming to this earth in the incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas is that God's Son, Jesus, comes to take on our humanity, to offer us, the human, uh, us humans, the ability to see, to know, to experience the glory of God. It's Jesus who reveals the glory of God to us, shows us God's true character, God's radiant nature that shines in this world. John 1, 14, again, that's the verse that's often read at Christmas. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God has come to us in Jesus. God has come to us in Jesus. And the passion of Jesus and the passion is that people will get in touch with the glory of God, to communicate what God is like, what his nature's like, and to get people's lives centered around God. I wonder what you think the purpose of life or the purpose of church is. One of the simple ways of putting what the purpose of life and the purpose of church is to is, is simply this, it's to exchange the false center that many of us live our lives by, by the true center that is God. Take a minute for a moment, just take a moment for a minute. What is it you see the key to our church life? What is it you see the key to your own life as you think ahead this week. wonder whether you think of just it's a series of lists. But the truth is, when we organize our lives around the wrong center, around the wrong things, then spiritual disaster happens. For me, as a parent of two children, Joshua's 12 and Hannah, for us and for many parents, Actually, it's very easy to organize your life around your kids. Your kids become the center of your life and the center of your world. Now, loving your children and valuing your children is obviously a great thing, but they're not called to be the center of your life. Many of us center our lives around our work, our ambitions, our relationship. We put our husband or our wife right at the center of our lives, and then suddenly things start to go wrong, and disaster happens. I know for many of us in our generation, particularly the generation we live in now, a lot of people want to organize their life around excitement and maybe our leisure, but realizing that after a while that never truly satisfies. But 
Uh, I'm sure many of you this morning are very, very spiritual and not as unspiritual as I am as I stand before you this morning. But I wonder whether you're honest this morning before God is actually what the common most organizing principle is, if we're honest, is that too often actually the center of our lives and what we organize our lives around is actually ourselves. We live for our glory rather than for God's. Why do you think, and again, I may just be talking about myself, you clearly don't seem to think this, but why is it we get so irritable, so angry, so stirred up, when things don't go our way, when we don't get the recognition we think we deserve, when someone doesn't value us in the way we ought, think we ought to, when our plans for the world and for things to go our way are wrecked by other people having different plans and different things. Is it not that our universe is being challenged by others? I wonder whether I took a random example of uh, people, of Christians, said, what is it that you think is the center of our lives, center of the, of the church life, what's the key? Uh, here, I imagine if I just did a little poll around here this morning, I'd say, well, actually for a church really to be a great place, we've got to teach the Bible properly. We've got to put the Bible right at the center. Others would say, well, yeah, that's all very well, but what about the Holy Spirit? Isn't that what's important? But i say, well, yeah, that's okay. Well, shouldn't we be caring for the needy? Shouldn't we be looking after the poor and the hungry? Shouldn't be looking, spending our time sharing the good news for the lost and evangelizing all the time. What about being a place of love and deep community? Shouldn't we be known by our love and our care for each other? And the answer this morning is, yeah, is this. The answer is yes to all of you. The answer is yes to all of those things. The Bible doesn't offer us an either-or view of church or of the Christian life. It's both and. It's both and. The vision for the church and for the, it's the kingdom of God and the glory of God. It's a big vision of who God calls us to. And we're not to, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We're committed to the full will of God in the world. All of us are called to participate in. One of the things that happened on the Thursday night was that uh, the, one of the trustees of this church, Charles, the Simeon's Trust, handed me over to that. And I love one of the quotes of Charles Simeon, who said that actually the Christian life is about living in tension. It's not escaping tension. It's about living in tension, living on the tightrope. He said, I love the tension that he used to say about trying to hold on to both extremes at the same time. It's not about just trying to find a middle way where we don't offend anybody, but we're called to radically love the most broken, the most poor, the most destitute with an unconditional love. But we also want to passionately lead them into truth and obedience and into godliness. It's not one or the other, it's both. And that is tough. I'm under no illusions as a pastor. I'm not saying that's easy. But we're committed to be both not either or. The Christian uh, writer Philip Yancey quotes um, the beginning of the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know whether some of you uh, know that. But he, the historian of the Alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous wrote, entitled his book, Not God, 
Because he said that that stands as the most important hurdle an addictive person must surmount. To acknowledge, deep in their soul, not being God. See, no mastery of manipulation or control, which alcoholics actually have learned to excel at, can overcome the root problem. Rather, the alcoholic must recognize individual helplessness and fall back in the arms of the higher power. First of all, an alcoholic and any other addict has to admit and to quit playing God. And that involves a daily, moment-by-moment surrender. In other words, the basic problem at the heart of our humanity is to always try to organize life around ourselves. That's what is not God, and things collapse for us. So what are we to do? How do we find that godly center, not just for our own lives, but for our church lives, but also for the community and for the city of Bath? We listen to the words of Jesus and recapture the heart of his prayer, which is, Father, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. We have to keep reminding ourselves that the center of our community is God. One of my favorite quotes is quoted the great um, Westminster, old Westminster Catechism, some of you will know this, which says, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever all through the Bible. How do we do that? It's worship that we put at the heart of our lives, that realigns us and recenters us into our relationship with God. We see it in Scripture all the time, the call to praise and worship that enable us to live those God-centered lives. When worship moves to the periphery, when we stop to think it's very important, other things start to fill the center, and we end up skating on thin ice. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. It's what we do each Sunday as we meet. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his holy name. So this morning, putting God at the center means living a life of worship with all of our lives, with the whole of our lives. With our work is worship. When we're at home, it's worship with our bodies, with our minds, with our hearts, with our gifts, with our money, with our resources. It's all worship. And personally, I haven't got time this morning, but I can testify again and again and again to how God has met me, transformed me, and brought healing and restoration in and through personal worship, but also through in the corporate place of worship. So I'd like to encourage you this week, and I'll take on the challenge as well, is this. Try and experiment this week. Is that when you're feeling pressured by the world, which many of you may be, make a choice to bring God to the center of your mind. Think of him. Then begin to verbally worship God. And as you're feeling pressured, rather than just resort to being really strong and doing it all in your own strength, actually maybe start to verbalize some of the things you want to thank God for or praise God for. Instead of blocking God out and trying to do stuff your own way, actually bring him to the very center of your life. And watch how peace restores to your life. 
peace restores to your heart and God begins to restore a sense of his presence at the center of who you are and what you're called to do. And that may be in a place of deep pain this morning. I have no idea what may be going on in your life. You may be going through huge suffering. You may be on the top of the clouds because things may be going amazingly. But whether you're in joy or in sorrow this morning, come before God. Put him at the center. We live for his glory. His kingdom come. His will done in our lives. Amen. I wonder whether you'd just like to stand for a second. Would you like to stand? We're going to worship and then we're going to share in communion together. And actually communion is an amazing place just to rededicate our lives to God, to put Christ at the centre. And I invite you, as we go through the words of communion, but also as we participate, to take this morning as an opportunity to do that for you personally. To say yes to God. I'm putting you at the very centre of my being, my life this day. But in just a moment of quiet before the band lead us in worship, I wonder whether there might be things you need to do a little business, a bit of business with God. Whether you know there are other things in the center that you just need to come before God and give to him and repent maybe of those things that you've made the center of your life which aren't God and ask his forgiveness and ask his restoration. In Jesus' name, amen.